0: This Wellness Couch podcast is brought to you by The Wellness... Reto, for
1: crying out loud, don't tell them all of our secrets. There's a very special announcement coming up, folks. Go to the Facebook page, go to Instagram at The Wellness Couch, or better yet, go to thewellnesscouch.com, enter your email address to sign up for the very special announcement, which is coming. Ah, you're killing me, Marcus. Thewellnesscouch.com
0: Streaming wellness into your lives
1: You're listening to The Healthy Shift Worker With your host Audra Starkey Hello and welcome to the Healthy Shift Worker Podcast. My name is Audra Starkey and I'm here to help you to manage some of the toughest challenges we face whilst working 24 7. I am beyond excited about today's episode because today's guest is a lady who has been on my wish list of guest podcast interviewees since the very first day I launched my podcast, some 18 months ago. And this lady, of course, is Dr. Libby Weaver, who is one of Australasia's leading nutritional biochemists, along with being an author of multiple books a speaker and founder of the plant-based supplement range BioBlends. Dr. Libby's area of expertise is in nutritional biochemistry, which has led her to being a respected international speaker and share the stage with some pretty high-profile people, including Marianne Williamson, Sir Richard Branson, Tony Robbins, and Dr. Oz, to name a few. And some of her patients have also included actors Hugh Jackman and Deborah Lee Furness, who describe her as a one-stop shop in achieving and maintaining ultimate health and well-being so to talk to us about all things to do with nutrition or more specifically sleep nutrition i'd love to give a warm healthy shift worker welcome to dr
0: libby hello hi audra thank you so much for that very generous welcome it's a pleasure to join you thank you
1: oh it's it's
0: great to have you
1: here i can assure you I'm, i'm definitely um yeah really really excited to see you but first things first i have to ask Is Hugh Jackman as good looking in real life as he is on TV?
0: He's, he's been a friend for a long time and it's, okay. I, I don't actually take any notice of it. <laughs> yeah, so, he's yeah, he's just a beautiful-hearted person. Mm. Uh, he's a very kind and thoughtful person, full of life, very appreciative for his life. They're the things I think that I notice about him most. Yeah, he's a, he's a really wonderful person. Mm. And good on the eye. <laughs> <laughs> but,
1: yeah. Look, I mentioned um, at the introduction that I've kind of been secretly stalking you for years in the nicest possible way um, since I just started studying nutrition myself and and first picked up one of your books along with attending a few of your seminars over the years. And I have to say, uh, Libby, my bookcase is filled with your books, you know, Accidentally Overweight, Rushing women's Wellness Women. Um, I mean, at this rate, I'm going to have to invest in a
0: new bookcase because you just keep <laughs> pumping out those books. How do you do it? Oh, I appreciate your support, Audra. <laughs> Thank you. I hope that they're useful. I really love writing. For me, it's I get to turn my phone off and uh, my mm. geeky research little character comes back to life in, um, in putting them all together. So the, the writing process itself is always something that I I enjoy and then obviously I do it so that people understand their bodies um, far more clearly. It's uh, I went to uni for 14 years, which I know makes me sound really thick and like I failed everything. But I did a lot of I did I originally studied nutrition and dietetics and then did honours and then did a PhD in biochemistry. But since then I've worked with people for 20 years. And so I bring my, my education together with my clinical experience. And from that, I've created what I refer to as my three-pillar approach to health, which is where we look at the biochemistry, the nutrition, and the emotional aspects of all sorts of situations. So my books are filled with with those approaches. And sometimes it's just the biochemistry, as in the inner workings of the body that people want to understand. Other times their focus is very much purely on nutrition. And then other times it's it's the emotional insight uh, about stories that we might be telling ourselves, meanings that we're creating from situations that we're part of, where where the, where the true juice is. So yeah, I try and look at it from all those perspectives. So for, to that end, I feel like I've got a lot to write about because those topics are almost never ending.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, they're
0: all they're all really really
1: great books. Yeah, that's for sure. But how did you how did you get on the path of studying nutrition and biochemistry? Because I mean, they're really intense topics. <laughs> <laughs> they
0: are i didn't uh i was never a child that was going to you know at school i was never thinking oh i'm going to do this i loved writing that was the only thing i knew so i originally studied journalism and then uh didn't love that so much because all i wanted to write about was health and nutrition and my my curiosity's always been in the area of why do people do what they do even though they know what they know so that then led me to go on and study psychology Mm. Uh, but again it was a lot of rats and statistics which was not my jam and uh, so I thought I've really got to study uh, something that I read about for pleasure which has always been nutrition even growing up I was fortunate to um, grow up in a country town in Australia and we grew some veggies in the backyard and had chickens and I had parents that you know it was it was through the calorie counting kind of era, but my parents never taught me that my mum would teach me to eat an orange because it was rich in vitamin C, and that nutrient was really good to help uh, prevent colds, for example, it was good for the immune system so I sort of had a just a it was never a big focus in our family, but that's how mum used to talk about food to me so I was always curious how that impacted on the body. Uh, so that was why I ended up then studying nutrition because I had always read about it um, for pleasure. And I found the science part of in the nutrition degree that I did, the dietetics degree that I did, there was a huge amount of science, biochemistry, immunology, microbiology. And I did find them very, very difficult, but worked incredibly hard um, to, to get through those and learn those. And I, I found that even though they were difficult uh, and required, you know, really uh, where my focus had to be for my study, uh, that it was the most rewarding areas because I started to truly understand how the body worked. And uh, when I first finished nutrition and dietetics, I started working in the outpatients clinic at a hospital and was really fortunate that as a new graduate, I had a a boss who was relatively trusting in, in my abilities. And, uh, she basically said, you know, if you have, if you strike some challenges, you must come to me, but you know, this Mm -hmm. is the outpatient clinic and we're here to support you, but you get in there and have a go. And I started seeing dietary changes, make enormous changes in symptoms that people were presenting with in their quality of life, in their sleep patterns as well. And it, it made me really, it brought home to me the power of nutrition and just how much that what we eat has an enormous impact on uh, not only the prevention of disease, but on healing certain conditions as well as how we feel each day. And I ended up phoning um, my immunology professor saying, I'm observing this and this and this. And he said, you've got a really curious brain. You should do a PhD. And I said, you've got to be joking. I find science really challenging. And he said, even more reason to do it. So, so I did. So I never set out to do it, but it was. I had a lot of questions I wanted answered, and uh, so that was. So I ended up doing, yeah, a PhD, and uh, it was. I learned so much more than I ever could have imagined, than just my topic. It, I, I learned so much about the human body and and uh, and what drives all those reactions inside of us. So, yeah, it was it was mind blowing. <laughs> mm,
1: yeah, and actually, just leading back, I think we really Oh, I've discovered that we actually grew up in the same area like in Tamworth I was born in Tamworth in New South Wales
0: yes well. yeah <laughs> a small world right? it's yeah. lovely yes Audra yes <laughs> yeah
1: my goodness I had no idea no idea about that yeah very small world <laughs> well look yeah one of the um reasons why well there's multiple reasons that I you know wanted to have you on the podcast but when I was at my final year at uh university just last year i not like you I haven't done 14 years <laughs> at uni but I was on the student uh, clinic and I actually handed out Uh, one of your books uh, called Rushing Woman Syndrome to one of my patients. And look, we'd spoken a little bit about nutrition and her diet, but I, I actually really wanted this particular lady to sit down and read your Rushing Woman Syndrome book before our next appointment. And lo and behold, she actually came back to see me, you know, two weeks later. And it was as if her whole world had changed she was beaming she said your book had been absolutely life-changing and i hadn't at that point in time libby even prescribed a single supplement it was as if just Mm -hmm. from reading your book um you know that she was able to kind of get it and i just i really wanted to share that story
0: with you i'm covered in goosebumps audra that's so beautiful thank you for sharing that that's very very touching that's why i do it just Mm. to sometimes it is a mindset shift or a piece of insight that makes all the difference to someone's health
1: yeah yeah and that's yeah what i do love about you you do have this beautiful whole holistic um insight and and i can assure you i i do recommend plenty of your books to my patients just not that one lady but yeah but um yeah the other reason of course is that um You know, wanting to get you on the show is because you do have this incredible, absolutely incredible biochemical and nutritional brain that I really wanted to tap into, um, in particular on the topic of sleep nutrition, because these are two elements, obviously, in our audience today, it's shift workers that are huge struggles, you know, when you work. 24-7 so but can we I guess first talk about sleep because I've actually changed how I work with my patients now who are only shift workers by the way and that's you know working on I now work on their sleep first because I found that when I was working on improving their nutrition I felt as though I was putting the cart before the horse,
0: mm, I bet if that
1: makes sense. So I'm kind of now going sleep, let's kind of focus and improve the sleep as best we possibly can, and then nutrition instead of nutrition and sleep. What are you, your kind of thoughts on that?
0: Uh, when I wrote my book, Exhausted to Energized, I actually mm. went looking at what were the biggest things that made a difference to energy. So where was the actual science to show physical improvements in energy. And there were three departments, sleep, food, and exercise. And um, even for so many people, shift workers included, I think sometimes when you hear those three headings, it's almost overwhelming because for a lot of people – those three areas all need attention and it can feel overwhelming. But what the research actually showed is that when you focus on just one of those, it then, and, and it makes some improvements, it then fosters an upward spiral uh, improvement in the other ones. So in, in obviously, and you'll be seeing this, I'm sure, Audra and people, people will be experiencing this. When you improve um, people's sleep quality, their appetite, they're better able to regulate their own appetite. They're less likely to overeat. So what you're saying about, um, you know, if you were to put nutrition first, those those desires can be incredibly difficult to regulate yourself if you are sleep deprived, if the quality of your sleep isn't, uh, isn't good. And you're then, you know, we're dishing people like you and I dishing out advice, saying, you know, it's much better if you eat this instead of yeah. this. Well, that almost is um can fall on deaf ears when yeah. someone is so sleep deprived. So yep. yeah, I, I'm good on you for, for for swapping that around. It's not to say nutrition can't make a difference to sleep quality, but I think uh, the both fo- mm. you know, sleep is obviously such a critical foundation um, for so many processes, including appetite regulation, body fat regulation uh energy of course uh, as well, so yeah that's fantastic mm. well I mean you you so
1: eloquently state in a lot of your books you know everything is way harder when we're exhausted so
0: <laughs> And it's, I think it's important um, as well to, to look at that, and sometimes it helps us to be kinder to ourselves because, yeah, when we're exhausted, everything is more difficult. It impacts the food that we choose, whether we get off the couch and go for a walk or not, jobs that we would apply for, friends that we make, our self-talk, and the way that we speak to everyone we love in the world. All those things uh, are enormously impacted upon when we are deeply fatigued, and it can have a ripple effect in our life that we, we sort of might not understand where it's actually stemming from, so... Um, yeah, it's fostering great energy uh, in, in, any, in whatever way. Improving sleep quality, obviously, is, is a key part in, in having a better quality life.
1: Mm. So that leads, I guess, to sleep nutrition. And I guess there's probably two ways that we could look at this. But I, I mean, I'm thinking just for myself as in foods that enhance our sleep versus foods that have a stimulatory kind of effect. So I guess for our audience of sleep-deprived shift workers, are you able to kind of share some of your insights with this?
0: Yeah, of course. Probably before food, though, I think it's really important to understand that sleep is able to occur when a part of our nervous system called the parasympathetic nervous system is activated. So when uh, there's the autonomic nervous system is a part of the nervous system that we can't boss around, we can't tell it to switch on, it's uh, enormously impacted upon by how we breathe, it's impacted upon by information in the blood, uh, by what the hypothalamus and the pituitary gland are all picking up. So when the endocrine system, which is our hormonal systems at the hypothalamus and pituitary gland rule, they're forever asking, am I safe? and then information is then uh, filtered into the blood in response to that based on whether we feel physically safe or even emotionally. People have all sorts of ideas uh, about what has to happen for them to feel safe. It can be financial, it can be to do with their children's health and happiness or what's happening with them from an educational perspective. So, there's lots of things that determine whether we feel safe or not. And when we don't, we when the answer is no, we activate a part of the nervous system unconsciously we don't purposely do this but it activates the sympathetic uh, nervous system which is essentially the fight-or-flight response and there's stress hormones that then get produced adrenaline and cortisol and adrenaline, for the entire time that humans have been on the planet, adrenaline was designed to get us out of danger. It communicates to every cell in the body that our life's in danger. And in modern times, we make adrenaline uh, from – everyone needs to block their ears right now because oh. we make adrenaline when we consume caffeine. Oh, and, get to uh, that in a
1: sec, yeah. <laughs> yeah,
0: and, and also from our um, – I simply call it – we make adrenaline from our perception of pressure and urgency. Mm. So the body hasn't – we haven't yet evolved as a species to be able to decipher the adrenaline that's in our blood because, for example, a car just drove out in front of us and we've got to slam our brakes on versus the adrenaline that we have in our blood because we've got um, a massive to-do list that's not all ticked off or we've had six coffees um, over the last six hours. So the, the, to the body, adrenaline just means danger. And that uh, keeps us in that sympathetic nervous system dominance. That keeps us in that fight-or-flight response. And sleep comes when the opposite arm of the nervous system is activated that parasympathetic nervous system, which is the rest, digest, repair, reproduce arm of the nervous system. So to, to activate that, we we do need to be honest with ourselves about how much caffeine we're having. Mm. And it has a half-life of about eight hours. So uh, for a lot of people, I think they think, oh, well, you know, I had my last coffee two hours ago. How on earth is that going to be impacting my sleep? Well, it's in your blood for about at least eight hours. So um, it, it can, and some people, are not very caffeine sensitive. In other words, their sleep is doesn't seem to be enormously affected. You know, if they had a coffee four hours before bed, whereas for others they won't sleep if they have a the coffee four hours before bed. So it's I think it's important to be honest with yourself about how much you're having, and also start to notice how it affects you. Um, the other thing we need to do to turn off or not spend so much time in the fight or flight response is to explore our perception of pressure and urgency and save it for when we really need it because a lot of people have made what they've got to do every day full of stress and pressure and urgency when we could flip it and think, wow, I get to do this rather than I have to do this and uh, I think what helps us is reconnecting to the privilege in our lives because all of our basic needs are met and still for too many people in the world that's not the case so sometimes I feel like a mental sh- I'm not denying life's not busy and there aren't days that aren't stressful and there aren't you know of course there are times when mm-hmm. things are urgent if you get a phone call from school and you've got to pick your child up that's that's urgent but often we make our to-do list or our emails um, you know we, we approach them with this sense of urgency and then the third thing to do to activate the the calm resting arm of the nervous system is to extend the length of our exhalation. So that's the only thing that science has currently shown that will will activate that parasympathetic nervous system. So um, even though it sounds too simple to make a difference, embracing some kind of breath-focused practice can be incredibly beneficial. It doesn't have to be going off to a class of yoga or Pilates or meditation or Tai Chi. They're, they're all great if you like them, but uh, it's just getting a practice in your day where you become very breath-aware. So it might be upon waking, whatever time that is, you do 20 long, slow breaths, or it's when you boil the kettle. You don't run around and do 50,000 other jobs in the house uh, while the kettle boils because you're making lemon juice in warm water, of course. Um, <laughs> you stand there and do 20 long, slow breaths or it's when you're at red traffic lights um, or a beautiful practice to do is before bed. Uh, again, whatever time of day that day or night that is, you put your legs up the wall. So you wiggle up, you can do it sitting on a bed or you can do it on the floor and you put your hip, you sit sideways to the wall or the bed head and put your hip up against uh, the bed head or the wall and then swing your legs up the wall uh, so that your bottom is sort of where the floor uh, hits the wall and then open your arms out across your chest and you'll naturally start to diaphragmatically breathe in that position. And that can be a really beautiful ritual to do before you want to go to sleep. It's very, very calming and um, and has been shown to activate that, that parasympathetic nervous system quite effectively. So it's getting rituals in your day that allow you mm-hmm. to, to slow that breathing right down. Mm. so they're, they're all really important i think and then you know on top of that then of course comes the nutrition but i feel like that foundation is is very very important to great yeah. quality sleep
1: yeah i love that again yeah because you just you don't have that one dimensional approach because we know that that just it just doesn't work it's you know no. one giving somebody a this amazing supplement that that is probably an amazing supplement um but if there are If, for example, still uh, because today so many of us are so addicted to our phones, you know. But if you're Mm. taking a supplement yet you're scrolling through Facebook when you should be sleeping, then they kind of offset each other. And yeah, the way that you've yeah beautifully um, described it in the with the difference between our sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system is is, yeah, is really, really good. And, um, yeah, and I do recommend my patients put their feet up their wall. So I'm glad that you
0: said that yeah,
1: as well. I love it. Yeah. yeah. So in regards to, I guess, sleep-enhancing
0: foods, what kind of things would you recommend? Um, the first thing I would say is if your digestive system is not happy then you're not going to sleep as well, regardless of what has led to that. So some people, for example, are incredibly nourished by plenty of fat. Now, I don't mean highly processed, refined, bad quality fat. I mean fat from whole real foods. They feel fantastic when they include things like avocados, nuts and seeds, um, organic butter, coconut, oily fish. So they, they, re- they really thrive when there's plenty of fat. Uh, for others, they feel heavy, they feel nauseous, when they include decent amounts of those fats uh, in the meal that they're going to have before they're going to go to sleep. So I think it's the first thing I would say is it's really important to start to notice what leads you to feel really comfortable in your digestive system before you want to go to sleep. And usually that's a lighter meal for for most Mm -hmm. people. So a a big heavy meal before you want to go to sleep is usually not something that's going to, you might fall asleep quickly, but you often won't stay asleep or you won't, you'll feel like you've been hit by a bus when you wake up the next morning when the digestive systems in overdrive, trying to deal with a big meal. So um, some if uh, regardless of what time of the day or night that you are sleeping, sometimes it's better to make that the lightest meal, um, the one before you go uh, yeah. to sleep. Whereas yeah. for others, they'll think, gosh, if I just had a bowl of soup um, before I want to go to sleep, I'll be awake again in two hours because I'll be ravenously hungry. So that's what I mean about starting to pay attention to what best serves you because uh, what you eat and the amount you eat uh, can certainly contribute. Um, I find in my experience, usually warming foods are good. So um, although for some people, that, that's not a hard and fast rule either, because in certain climates, that's the last thing you feel like. Yeah. If, you're really, if you're really hot and you've got to f- try and fall asleep in the middle of the day to, um, to get up and then go to work at night. You know that a warm meal might not be what's appealing, but often from a digestive system perspective, um, slow cooked sort of soups and stews and casseroles with plenty of vegetables, uh, sometimes that can be um, really, really nourishing and satiating and, and and incredibly warming. But again, I can think of a handful of people that would screw their face up at that and go, "You've got to be joking! I would only ever want to eat a salad <laughs> uh, at that time of day." So really, start to pay attention to yeah, what best serves you um when we just eat carbohydrates so if we just have um particularly highly processed carbohydrates they're usually not that good for helping us fall asleep and stay asleep so they can be um the the, they can spike your blood sugar spike your blood glucose and that's often not uh, effective so making sure that you've got just some fat some protein uh and some carbohydrates you don't have to go without the carbs because they've Um, help us to make certain hormones that allow us to fall asleep Mm -hmm. and stay asleep Mm -hmm. so we must have some of those Um, so just a good mix of the fat protein and carbohydrate um, is usually good for most people so I'm a bit old-fashioned in some of my food recommendations (laughs) (laughs) you know just keeping it really simple we don't have to do lots of fancy things unless that's you know and energizing for someone and often people yeah it doesn't have to be fancy.
1: Oh, I love that! Mm-hmm. And you're talking to the right people that don't want to do anything fancy either. They've got to walk in the door, exhausted, peel off the uniform, have a shower, and yeah, usually go straight to bed. But that's sort of yeah, well, depending on their shift, I've been trying mm. to make sure that they do have something before they go to sleep because for the for the exact reason that you were mentioning before is that yeah, it can you can end up like your blood glucose levels will mm-hmm. drop and and you'll you end up waking up and kick off that whole adrenal um response so um yeah but no no simple simple is really really good and look i'm glad that you've already brought up about the caffeine because i was going to bring it up and i'm sure everyone was going to get you know um, a little bit um angry at me for doing it but i think it it is really really important to talk about caffeine and the fact that i know so many of um, you know, shift workers. We do. We get into, unfortunately, that habit of having to kind of rely on that caffeine, and whether it's in the form of coffee or an energy drink or a soft drink or anything. But um, you know, when our but when our bodies are already stressed as a result of this ongoing sleep deprivation, could you please explain, yeah, to our listeners as yeah, why it just is really important just to tone down. <laughs> Caffeine.
0: Mm. <laughs> so, if because because it does the, the physiology when we can't fight this, when you consume caffeine from any source, mm. uh, it leads that the caffeine binds to what are called this is probably a bit too technical, but just it's uh, just so people understand it's a, an actual mechanism in the body. The caffeine binds to the adenosine receptors in the brain, and those adenosine receptors then communicate to the adrenal glands that they need to release adrenaline, which, as we talked about before, communicates to the body that our life is literally in danger so there are a number of biochemical changes that then go on inside the body to help us prepare to get out of danger the first thing that happens is our blood pressure goes up the next thing that happens is the blood supply that's normally so fantastic to the digestive system to help us get the most out of our food gets diverted away from digestion to the periphery to the arms and the legs because that's what's going to power us to get out of uh, the danger that the body thinks that it's in and then the third and one in five women in Australia have irritable bowel syndrome and food's food is playing a role. In that, but so is this stress response, yeah. Uh, and then the big third thing that happens is it changes the fuel that your body perceives is safe and appropriate for you to use. So, in any given moment, the body's making a decision whether to use fat or glucose, it's usually a combination of both. Uh, in any given moment, and when you've got high circulating levels of adrenaline because you've thrown a few coffees down your throat or had you know some, some energy drinks or soft drinks that contain caffeine, uh, because Uh, That adrenaline is saying we've got to get out of danger. The body thinks it mostly needs a fast burning fuel to help you do that and uh, the fast burning fuel between glucose and fat obviously is glucose. So I've met a lot of people who lose the ability to effectively use body fat as a fuel uh, simply from the amount of adrenaline they make which is coming from what we talked about earlier, perception of pressure and urgency and way too much caffeine. Even when people, I think if you've grown up with the idea that your body shape and size is only related to the calorie equation, this kind of fries your brain a bit because it shows you how body shape and size is not just down to that. Mm. It's because the the body will there are nine different factors that will impact whether the body gets the message to use fat or store fat, uh, and um, I've had patients that have just consumed black coffee. In other words, there's no calories in it, and their clothes just get tighter and tighter and tighter. And it's just simply from this mechanism that we're talking about. So everyone responds differently, though. It's um, sure. it's not nothing's yeah. all clear cut. And my mm-hmm. message is you don't have to go without caffeine. Although I'll be honest, some people do do feel better without it they yeah. think they won't but they do mm. they're terrified to go off it and they suffer <laughs> They it, everyone suffers at first or most people suffer at first with headaches when they mm-hmm. do first go off it but but I'm not saying that that everyone has to go off it not for a second I just it's not innocuous and it can have a, a, all sorts of ripple effects in your life and um so if you used to, you know and I, I do think it's all relative if you're someone that's used to having six cups uh, across the hours that your eyes are open, you could initially halve that, yeah. and then and then drop it to two, and just see if you can sit at two. I mean, my ideal world it would be one, but I, I try to be really practical in in my advice. And having two coffees a day is way better than six, you know. <laughs> so it's mm-hmm. um, it's it's noticing how um, how how it leads you to feel as an individual, and I think people can be uplifted and inspired sometimes when they see positive changes uh, in how they feel uh, to to, to to keep going and and maybe have a stint without it and see just how much better most people feel without it. In saying all of that, though, I think it's also important to recognise that because adrenaline – uh, what a lot of people do is they're actually hungry and they get a coffee instead. A lot of women do this. And so instead of eating, because they might be watching their weight and watching how their clothes fit them, they grab a coffee instead. But adrenaline mobilizes stored glucose. So we store glucose in the form of glycogen in our liver and our muscles. And if you haven't eaten for a while and you have a coffee, the adrenaline it leads you to make then makes your liver and muscles release the glycogen. Your body converts it back into glucose in your blood sugar your blood glucose goes back up and then it's going to, if it's gone up, it's going to crash again. So a lot of people, um, in the equivalent of, you know, if you work uh, in the daylight hours at three o'clock in the afternoon, they feel like someone else has taken over their body. The sugar cravings are so intense. Mm -hmm. Uh, and obviously that's in the middle of the night if you're working through the night and, uh, and, caffeine can set that up a lot of things can set that up but caffeine that you consume uh, across the first part of the first couple of hours when your eyes are open can set that up in some people and it never ceases to amaze me how many people comment and say i can't believe that without caffeine my three o'clock sugar cravings have completely disappeared it's no longer this battle that i fight with myself every day so another thing that makes a really big difference to sugar cravings in my experience is increasing the fat that you eat from whole and real food yeah. um But to do that, you've got to really cut right back on all the processed food that's there because there's so much uh, hidden sugar, refined sugars uh, in in those processed foods. So that's often a two-pronged approach, reducing the processed food at the same time as increasing the fat from those whole and real foods that can really help with sugar cravings as well.
1: Mm, great tips and yeah again as as shift workers we do go through those sugar cravings quite a lot actually because Mm. of sleep deprivation and the whole Mm. hormonal um disruption that goes on um there and i'm also glad that you mentioned about the adrenal glands connection with the digestive system as well because again yeah shift workers are quite prone not just in my in research that i've been doing but obviously in the patients that i see yeah they're they're quite prone not only just because of the um yeah the, the diet and we are there's the sad diet out there the standard american diet but i've kind of reworded it to the standard shift workers diet which is kind of the same thing yes Um, yeah but um, because of the disruption to the sleep-wake cycle alone or that circadian rhythm dysregulation that actually impacts on our digestive system so we've kind of really got even more effort to kind of help to support that digestive Mm -hmm. system even more Um, yeah so yeah fascinating really really good Uh, look just besides your books I know that you've also um, developed a range of supplements called bio blends because like you're not busy enough you write books you have got (laughs) to make supplements as well but one of them is called sleep restore can you share with us a little more about what's in that supplement and how that works
0: yeah, of course. So BioBlends uh, has been in my head and my heart for a really long time. Most supplements out there are synthetic; they're made in a laboratory, and BioBlends is all made from food, from mm. from plants, from herbs and food. And uh, so when uh, over the 20 years that I've seen patients, yeah, there were a h- couple of herbal combinations that I would often use to help people fall asleep and stay asleep and wake up with better energy. Uh, and, yeah, so I've, I've put that into Bioblend Sleep Restore. So there's things like but, – but not everyone will probably recognise some of the names of the herbs, but um, things like magnolia and ziziphus and lemon balm and chamomile, uh, they're all there and they work to relax the nervous system uh, And because a lot of people – uh don't sleep well because their mind is so busy yes. they yeah. and to I think we've yeah. got to look at that that mm. it comes from a, when we worry it comes from a really beautiful place. We worry because we've got a beautiful heart.
1: Mm. It's
0: just that sometimes that can work against us because yeah. we start to go through everything, in, you know, in the middle of the time when we're supposed to be sleeping. So, the idea of the herbs is that they're they're called nervines, so they they help the nervous system to go into that uh, relaxed place, uh, so that we can fall asleep and then stay asleep and and not sleep so lightly and just wake up so easily um, then they're not a sleeping tablet though so they don't knock you out they're to help get you back into a good sleep rhythm so the idea is that you take them 30 minutes before you want to go to sleep to help the nervous system get into that into a place where where sleep can happen so it's i always say to people supplements aren't necessary for great health they're just sometimes helpful to get you back into a mm. into a um a good rhythm so um it's by no means a prescription everything i'm saying today is it ed- for education of course audra yeah. it's not a prescription yeah, and it's, yeah. i'm not i'm not saying that this yeah. is necessary but i've, I've just seen that, that herbal combination work for for lots of people
1: mm, it sounds like it has yeah a, like a a nice kind of anti-anxiety effect as opposed to like a sedative effect is that's that, precise. That's exactly it. Well said. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> you okay. got it. Yeah. And, and I think, uh, yeah, and I, again, I see that that anxiety in a lot of my patients that, yeah, they're not being able to turn off or switch off. And uh, But I, in saying that, though, I think we've come to re- think that sleep is just like an on-off button, like we literally just will lie in bed and fall asleep. But it is a process and it takes mm. a little while for us to actually get into that um, yeah, that, that time where we can actually fall asleep and certainly uh, you know, having those sorts of supplements that you've made. Um, yeah, sounds perfect. Uh, because, as you said, a lot of us just are f- thinking of 50,000 things at once and if there's people pleasers out there, they're even more prone <laughs> to it. Uh, so, yeah, well, look, yeah, this is great. Look, just probably just one last question before we wrap up, um, Lib- Libby, is, I guess, and you maybe have already touched on it at the beginning probably is, I guess, what advice would you give shift workers to who don't really have that luxury of, of kind of going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time each day to kind of help to reduce
0: their feelings of stress? Uh, firstly is the world will fall apart if we don't have shift ship workers. So always, always recognize the massive yeah. contribution that you make yeah. to the world. Um, it, we, we, the world doesn't function if, if you guys aren't, um, aren't contributing in that way. So it's almost, that's a little sort of point, I guess, beyond the job, um, is to recognize that extra effort that you, you know, it's, you're awake in the, in the nighttime hours and. Yeah, the world wouldn't be the same if that didn't happen. Um, so I think just recognising the central contribution that you're making, I think, is really important for our mental health. Yeah. Um, but certainly, uh, I think we can all we can all get into rhythms. So it's just that sometimes those rhythms uh, are. Um, at the opposite end of the the day or night from uh, when the rest of the world is doing it. So, and that it might just simply be, as you just touched on a second ago, we all, I think a lot of people just expect to be almost, you know, buzzing through the, the waking hours and doing their jobs and you know, helping their families and doing the other things they have commitments to. And then it's as if when we lie down, we just think our body's supposed to go, okay, I've gone from full throttle to nothing. Mm-hmm. And so prepare. I think getting rituals in your life that allow you to actually prepare for sleep is very important and it can be um, lowering light in any way that's possible, whether it's with drapes, with, with light settings in the house, whatever whatever you can do to, that's practical to do. To do that, it can be um, a, a cup of te- uh, you know chamomile tea or some kind of herbal tea. That's sort of everything can be a signal to your body that it's time to slow down and that you're about to prepare to go into a rest mode. Uh, and Uh, I think, too, when you've got 85,000 things on your mind, sometimes just noting them down so that you know that you won't forget them. Uh, I know for me personally, that makes a really big difference. I schedule things into my diary and then think, good, that'll pop up in my diary down the track when I need to address that. So just, you know, having that to-do list Um, scheduled can that can also help so regardless of when you're going to sleep sometimes just a few key rituals the legs up the wall that we talked about earlier uh all of that can yeah be just be really helpful to to the the preparation phase to help us fall asleep and and stay asleep and obviously stressing about sleep makes everything worse so um and i'm sure you will have talked about this before audra but um One of the things that I'll usually say just one-on-one to someone uh, is that sometimes when we can't sleep, it's biochemical. So, you know, we've had too much caffeine and it's interfering with our body being able to stay asleep. Uh, But sometimes it's actually fear. And because if I, when I talk about stress, one of the things I'll often say is I feel like stress is the achiever's word for fear. We just don't walk around saying, oh, I'm really scared of my emails or I'm, you know, that would be kind of (laughs) weird. It's But that's what, but. Uh, People, for example, will say they get stressed about running late. But if you actually pull the curtain back on, let's pick on running late, usually it's not the running late that you're worried about. What stresses most people out is what other people think of them. And so if we can just pause, you know, any time of the day or night, if we are worked up and think, okay, if this is something that I'm frightened of, and you speak to yourself with sort of the tenderness that you'd speak to a child, if this is something that I'm frightened of, what might it be? And you'll blow your own mind at some of the things that bubble to the surface and you'll see what is really worrying you. And then you've got an opportunity rather than just sort of lying there thinking, oh, I'm so stressed, I'm so stressed, and now I can't sleep, I'm even more stressed. It's it, there's a, If you can bring a gentleness and a kindness to yourself and a curiosity and inquire about what might what might this be, sometimes that can give us insight. Like I said, that's that's not it for everyone, and sometimes it is purely biochemical. It's not enough melatonin, our sleep hormone. It's um, uh, yeah, too much caffeine in the system, for example. Of course, it can be a f- if, you know real physical reasons like that. But sometimes things might have happened across the time that we've been at work, and we're worried that our feelings might have been hurt, or we're worried that we've hurt someone else's feelings. And you just think, okay, well, when I see them tomorrow, I need to go and clear that up and you know you just get a little and sometimes that's enough just then to relax you and back you go to sleep so it's just bringing I guess kindness and curiosity sometimes to our our brains Mm. (laughs) at whatever time of day it throws those things up to us yeah which is all different times uh, that's right
1: because yeah that's right that is great advice uh, Libby and look thank you so much for sort of saying along the lines of you know to basically that you know to be kind to ourselves because uh, yes shift workers like in australia alone there's one and a half million shift workers so times that by global there is so many of us and Hmm. the world would almost stop spinning if yes it would monday to friday so and you are doing amazingly you are doing what most people can't do and that's be awake when everyone else is asleep and and vice versa so i think Hmm. what you just said by yeah like be kind to yourself you are doing an amazing job and yeah, and I think they're just, yeah, really nice words. So <laughs> thank mm-hmm. you for mentioning that. But, look, this has been really fun chatting with you. Um, Libby, where can people find you to learn more about your events and products
0: and services? Because I know you've oh, always
1: got things um, going on.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, I do a bit. Yes, my, web- <laughs> my website is drlibby.com, so just dr. L-I-B-B-Y.com. Um I'm not a medical doctor. I yeah, as I said, I've done nutrition and dietetics, and then did honours, and then did a PhD in biochemistry. So I kind of didn't know what to call myself, but <laughs> uh, um, I focus. I'm um, essentially with the PhD, obviously being a biochemist, mm. and then the nutrition, obviously, is what I was my original training. So uh, I look very holistically, yeah, at mm. people's health. And yeah, there's a lot of free information on my website. I run online courses for people to help with all sorts of conditions that they might be experiencing and, and, uh, live events, uh, women's health weekends yeah, and of course my book. So hopefully, hopefully they're useful.
1: Oh, oh, they are definitely useful. And then some, I'm sure the hundreds of thousands of people around the world can definitely vouch for me on that one. Yeah, they're amazing. Well, look, thank you so much for joining me um, today, I'm Libby. So. I know that you are insanely busy. Um, so I'd really mm. like to say a massive thank you for you know sharing some of your sleep and nutrition with us today. It really has just been an absolute delight having you on the show.
0: Oh, for me as well, Audrey, you're such a beautiful person. It's a pleasure. I'm yeah, really grateful. I hope the hope audience yeah finds it helpful. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Well, look, that's
1: it um, for another edition of the Healthy Shift Worker podcast. I'd love to hear your feedback, and there are many ways you can do this via my Facebook page, The Healthy Shift Worker, through my website, healthyshiftworker.com, or you can visit The Wellness Couch at TheWellnessCouch.com and leave a comment there. If you enjoyed the show, please feel free to share it with other shift workers who you think may benefit, as this will help me to spread the Healthy Shift Worker message to shift workers and organisations all around the world. If you'd like access to more free resources, including my newsletter, just visit my website, healthyshiftworker.com and enter your name and email address. Thanks so much for tuning in and listening. Until next time, may you continue to be as healthy as you possibly can be, despite working 24-7.